podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel we've got podcast interviews and content on all sorts of subjects from MMA, boxing, football, music, writing, acting, conspiracy theories and much, much more including my story in un- uh, and Unscripted and Uncensored. This is the Danny Batten Fight Show episode number 22. And uh, with today, there's no current uh, boxing or MMA for us to talk for the first time in a couple of shows. So we're back to talking some retro stuff. And uh, we have Lennox Lewis versus Ty- uh, Mike Tyson. I nearly said Tyson Fury then. Lennox Lewis mm-hmm. versus uh, Mike Tyson. That's because I was literally just thinking I would like to see, I would have liked to have seen Lennox Lewis versus Tyson Fury. But um, yeah, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson. And uh, then we'll also talk a bit of UFC 8 and part Four of our look into the rise of Jack Shaw through the uh, the ranks of Cage Warriors and up to his UFC debut, and uh, I'm sure we'll see him fighting again soon. Uh, joining me to discuss all of the above is former Cage Warriors champion, Mr. Danny Batten. How are you, my friend? I'm all good, sir. Ready and ready to do another one. Indeed, I'm looking forward to it, mate. And uh, we've also got uh, Shane Watson from S Jam Boxing. Uh, but he's just popped out with the stream. He'll be back in a minute. Um, good week, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much, you know, the same. Didn't have as much to busy myself with, but you know, it gives me time to do other things. You know, uh, in regards to like relaxing and stuff. Yeah. Any uh, any news on gyms and stuff in England then? Uh, not really. I mean, we're still we put most of the things we can in place um, so that you know when. They do give us a go-ahead to, to open in some form or some fashion. We've got most of the things that we think are going to be required of us uh, in place. So we try to create a one-way system to, to use the bathroom, uh, cleaning stations. Um, and, uh, the, you know, I think the last thing that we can do, um, once we spaced apart the machines, which most of ours are, we got luckily we've got a really big complex, um, is to also put some form of cleaning uh, on top of each bit of equipment. Uh, and the martial arts, who knows? You know, that's that, that's another thing. Um, I don't even know really whether they'll directly address that. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know how they're going to go about it. Um, it's going to be interesting, certainly. But yeah, just getting the gym open would be a start. Yeah, that's it. And there, it's just trying to wait for them to make a decision. I don't. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, their decision making seems to be quite uh, reactive rather than proactive. So I think you might be waiting yeah. for a bit. Um, also yeah. joining us is uh, Mr. Shane Watson, the uh, operations manager for S Jam Boxing. How are you, my friend? Uh, all good, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on again. It's all good, mate. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward. To it. I like uh, talking a bit of bit of retro boxing, bit of retro MMA. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got a show coming out with Shane. Uh, it's gonna, probably going to be out on Friday. So this is this is our Wednesday. So we, yeah, it'll be out on Friday. We talked a bit of everything, really. We talked boxing. We talked a bit of MMA. Talked a bit of everything. 
all sorts of stuff. But it was a good, uh, good fun show. And uh, you were supposed to be interviewing Vander Holyfield this week. Didn't didn't happen in the end, mate. Did it? Right. The issue with this is right. So I was meant to have Van Holyfield on the other day. I've got his phone number right, and honestly, honestly, this is what he does every day. He will text me at about eight o'clock in the morning, like a whole, like like about eight paragraphs of um, quotes from the Bible, right? And it is so random. Like yeah. we've never met each other. We're not mates or anything. And he'd be like, "Have a great day, sir." At the end, I'm like, "If it's if it's eight o'clock in the morning here, it's about half two in the morning where you are, mate." But what is he doing? Saying, <laughs> he's like saying good morning and stuff. And then he sends me really weird voice notes as well, and the other really weird, like not really weird, but like whatever, like very personal religious videos. Yeah, I'm like, we haven't all of a sudden just become friends, Evan. <laughs> me the other day, and you still haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all this time sending me these weird messages. <laughs> weird. There they go. But uh, yeah, so so have you got a date set now for that? Or is it wait and see? Um, yeah, so it's going to be, um, what day are we going to Sunday? Yeah, Thursday, I believe, next Thursday. Right, so I'm doing, one with, um, I'm doing one with uh, Tyson Fury tomorrow, actually. So. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be a wicked one. And Peter Fury later on. So is it? Good. No, it's Peter Fury's legendary I'm not going to link them together because I understand the, um, obviously... Family conflict and stuff. I'm not one to try and twist things in, in the family, no. but yeah, it just conveniently does fall on the same day. Yeah, <laughs> morning. Yeah, you go. That'd be good though. That Tyson Fury would be a really, really interesting one because um, it's just got such an amazing story. Like, so uh... yeah, it will be. I want everyone to tune in on this one because it will be it, very interesting. I'm going to go quite deep on the old rather than talk about boxing side of it because everyone knows everyone knows that and everyone's got an opinion on it. I really want to go deep more on the uh, mental health side of things that he went through. I don't yeah, think people went, have gone in an in interview with him, have gone too deep into that with him, mm. like real deep and seen uh, into it. Like, obviously, we know some of the things that he was going to do where he said he was going to drive his car through the wall. Funny yeah, enough, yeah. it was actually my brother that insured that car. Funny enough. No way. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, that's a weird story. But yeah, um, also, yeah, so just things, I want to go really deep on that more than boxing itself, really. Yeah, man. That'd be really good. I um, Do you know what? A little quick story. When I first started the podcast, like about, probably coming up to 18 months ago now i'd had literally i was depending on people i knew as guests and stuff or friends of friends and then so i would contact people just randomly see if with a bit of luck they might agree to come on like they'll almost feel sorry for me give a guy a start or whatever and i contact i dm'd tyson fury's twitter page and said look i do some podcasts on mental health i'm only just starting so i know it's like a massive long shot but would Tyson come on and speak? I didn't even expect a reply. And um, I think it was his, I would assume his, his manager or his social media guy, like they messaged me back and they were like, look, he's doing a lot of stuff at the moment with documentary and this and that. And just basically just said, look, maybe at a later date, but thanks. And like, I just thought, do you know what? You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to reply. You didn't have to, you know, even give me the oh, time of day, like Twitter page or M- MTK Twitter page. Uh, I'd have to have a look. I think it might have been MTK. If I mm. think about it, but yeah, they're, quite to... good, they're quite good, they're quite good. But yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't couldn't fault them, like because they didn't have to do that. Like I had literally, I think at that point, I probably had about ten followers and ten subscribers or something. I was just mm-hmm. trying my luck. But um, yeah, little story, you know. But uh, yeah, so. We're going to talk uh, the boxing first. Uh, Lennox Lewis versus Tyson, Mike. I keep saying Tyson Fury. 
<laughs> Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. Um, interesting fight. Uh, Danny, what did you think, like, just general overall thoughts before we go sort of round by round? Yeah, I mean, overall, I felt like we didn't see, uh, like, a peak performance by Tyson by any stretch. Uh, it just looked like he was not firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, this could also be the, the, the fact that maybe... Lennox Lewis had really learnt his craft really well and learnt to use that long reach and that, that that height that he had. I mean, he was a pretty tall boxer back then. Today, it's quite an average height, but back then he was a pretty tall dude. Um, and maybe he had perfected his craft really well, which made Lennox Lewis, uh, sorry, made Mike Tyson, um, you know, less effective. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I was kind of, I just think it was a shame that we didn't see them both at their peak, and that seems to be the story a lot in boxing. You, you you don't see those great matchups when they're really firing on all cylinders, and and unfortunately we've been robbed of knowing what might have happened if if Tyson was, you know, really on his peak performance. Yeah, it, it just looked a little flat to me. Yeah, I am. Um, it's interesting. Read. Uh, I watched the the post fight interview just now, literally before when I was just kind of getting ready to come on, and then um, Tyson said, I don't know if he took, he must have taken the fight on relatively short notice because he said, I would have preferred to have three, you know, three fights before this. So I, I don't know if he was kind of coming back from a from a break or something um, off the top of my head. Like, um, Shane, what did you make of it, like the overall? So if you look at the whole thing, the build up to the fight as well, Tyson had lost that fight even before he went to the ring. He um, was very, it, the whole build up was crazy. I mean, that's what, I mean, if you're a boxing fan or you're a casual fan or whatever you are, you don't even have to be a boxing fan. You probably watch the fight anyway. Um, it's like galore. Like you love that. Like the the whole name calling, squaring up, chasing after himself on the side of the stage. So I think Tyson lost his head as, as we've seen many times um, in his career uh, um, before he got into that fight. And I think that's arguably one of the reasons why he lost the fight because he looked like he was. He didn't seem like he was prepared at all. He, um, you can do that when at the lower level opposition that he was beating because. He was on a six-fight winning streak before that fight, I believe, against, like, second-tier opposition. Yeah. You can get away with it at that level opposition. When you're stepping in there against an elite heavyweight, and arguably, no, not even arguably, a top-five heavyweight of all time, and Lennox Lewis, and um, and that's if any of the world-level boys. That's not just um, Lennox. You're going to get found out at the end of the day because these guys, every little thing you can get on one another at elite level could be the, um, the, the difference between winning and losing. And um, Mark Tyson, he just wasn't there, man. His head wasn't in the fight at all. He wasn't in the fight week. He, he just looked like he wanted to rip his head off. And when you go in there, that mindset at that level, especially as I was saying before we came on air, when we had a quick one-minute talk, uh, you go in there against Tony, it was an exceptional jab. And he was exceptionally tough. Like, if you watch Lennox Lewis against Shannon Briggs, yeah, Lennox Lewis's chin, bar, I know he got knocked out by Hassie Matman and um, Oliver McCall by big one, by big um, one-punch knockouts, right? But, he is exceptionally tough. And Shannon Briggs, who's one of the biggest heavyweight punches of all time, laying bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb on Lennox Lewis. And somehow he's still standing. I do not know. Yeah. And um, you'll see that he's very tough. So it was going to take a lot more. Mike Tyson was going to have to have a lot more on his locker to beat Lennox Lewis and just being very um, tough and hard-hitting. And uh, like I said, his, his head wasn't in the fight at all. It was very one-sided. Um, very good knockout by Lennox Lewis as well. It ended it in emphatic fashion as he usually does. And um, it's, it's a shame, really, because it's almost like, you know when everyone says that like, you can't really ever get a good name in your record these days, or any days, 
Without them saying, well, this guy was slightly out of his prime. This guy was slightly out of his prime. And I think that's yeah. the bracket that Lennox Lewis falls in for most of his big victories. And yeah. it's a real shame because it, you, it's not his fault that Mike Tyson didn't train properly. So why yeah. should his win get crushed? Because Mike Tyson didn't dedicate mm. himself in the gym. So that, that, mm. that, that's Because that's, so, he trained so hard, he doesn't get the credit because the other one didn't. And, I, and that, that's, a, that's the thing that I have with that, really, is because Mike Tyson wasn't old enough to be out of his prime. But if he decided not to take the sport as seriously or his mindset was in the right place, you can't then say that that, made Lennox, that Lennox, they didn't beat the best Mike Tyson because at the end of the day, Mike Tyson should prepare himself to be the best Mike Tyson to go into a fight. Yeah, You can't fine. credit another guy's victory for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems harsh, doesn't it, to, to tarnish Lennox Lewis's victory over one of the biggest names in boxing. Because yeah, I mean, that, because Tyson did... let's, let's pretend Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fight, right? And that, like, that's a prop. They, they say right now that's a proper 50-50 heavyweight dust-up, right? Both in their primes or whatnot. So if Tyson Fury turns up to that fight, well overweight, twenty-two stone, yeah, doesn't look like he's trained. Look like he's just here for the, the paycheck. Even though we know that won't happen, but hypothetically speaking, and mm. Joshua beats him, you can't then go and say, "Oh, well, they've just beaten overweight Tyson Fury." At the end of the day, you're still beating an elite heavyweight. Who is at the top of their game or whatever? If he chooses to turn up overweight, that you can't discredit the guy that did turn up in shape and was ready to fight. Just put on me. Yeah, it's gone, Dan. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, you're absolutely right in what you're saying. I think the the main people get robbed as well as like you know Lennox Lewis not being able to say he beat a, a supposed in peak. Uh, Mike Tyson is, is really the fans. Um, I, I remember during all this era being really excited about this matchup, and I, I was you know really disappointed with what, what I think would have been a more interesting bout had we see a more switched on Mike Tyson. But yeah, you are. You can only fight what you're up against at any yeah. given time. And it's up to the fighter to always be in uh, shape. You know, this, you know, when I decided to retire from, from the game, I, I, I didn't want to stay in it and lose because I was getting too old or, you know, where I knew I couldn't prepare as well as I was getting older. You know, your body picks up injuries. You get more hiccups in your, your training prep. I knew that that was going to lead me to lose fights and I didn't want it to be that way. I'd much rather, you know, come out when I knew I was over the hill and it was just beginning to taper away. Um, yeah, uh, I, that, that's really how I re- remember it back from that era. It, it's just being a bit disappointed. I'm like, wow, you know, I thought it was going to be real fireworks and the fireworks just wasn't there. Um, yeah, that's how I saw it. The... Um... Just quickly before I go on to the first round, the um, we watched uh, Joe Calzaghe versus Roy Jones Jr. And um, <clears throat> obviously Joe Calzaghe gets that kind of accusation thrown at him a lot that he fought fighters. Yeah, he's another one. He's another sufferer of that for sure. But like, yeah. how could, like you can only beat what's in front of you. So whether your opponent is of a certain age or whether your opponent is not preparing properly or not taking it seriously, that's not your fault. That's not your problem. You've got to just do your job. Yeah, you know was chasing him for years. Sorry. Do you know, on, on Joe Kozaki, though, right? That it's, it's people um, mustn't research really what they're saying when when they say things like that. Because if they really looked into Joe Kozaki's record, they will see that he beat a Bernard Hopkins that was still world champion seven years later in yeah. his home country. Right now, I'm not being funny. Bernard Hopkins is now the oldest um, world champion ever. And he, I believe, I could be wrong on this, I think it was 47 or it was 48 that he retired 
um, defeat. He lost to Kovalev, but in the fight before, but he went into the Kovalev fight as WBA and IBF champion. So he was a unified world champion at the age of 47 or 48. And he fought, I think, Kazaki maybe 10 years prior to that. So to say that he was over the hill was ridiculous. If anything, he was he was aging like fine wine, Bernard Hopkins was. So, yeah. I mean, people can't, <laughs> can't use that comment. I mean, the Roy Jones fight is the only one I would say that he wasn't at his best. And even Joe Kazaki admits that himself. Yeah, of course. But Joe Kazaki can't just all of a sudden make himself 10 years younger unfortunately. Mm. It's just the way that the sport is. But even bar that, Joe Kozaki's got many other great wins. He beat, okay, maybe not a prime Eubank, but still a very good Eubank. He beat um, Jeff, the way he beat Jeff Lacey is one of the best British boxing performances of all time. Yeah, And like, and, and the, the list goes on and on. Mikhail Kessler. He took Mikhail Kessler's O, a prime Mikhail Kessler, who ended up beating Carl Froch and had a very close second fight at the end of his career with him as well. And Mikhail Kessler beat many great names. Great, great fight. Definitely a top 10 super middleweight of all time as well. So, like, you know, I mean, you're never... You're, people can always pick at people's records all the time, especially when you're undefeated. Look, Floyd Mayweather gets it all the time as well. Guys, uh, 49-0 in boxing terms. I'm not going to count the uh, Conor McGregor fight. but So, no. even, even then, you'll get people to pick up your record, even though you're going to get people that are slightly partial at best, maybe a slightly weight drain, weight, weight, weight drain. But that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the fight game for you, isn't it? Yeah, so... But Bernard Hopkins, he won the IBF light heavyweight title in 2013 um, and again in 2014 when he won the WBA super title. Um, yeah, because he unified against uh, Shimonov. Shimonov, yeah. So like he was 48 yeah. and 49 when he won those titles and he retired. Yeah. I think I think I just saw that he, I've gone off the page up, but I think he retired at 52. So like yeah, yeah. he yeah, was still he, going he well after Calzaghe retired. Yeah, because he fought Joe Smith Jr. in his last fight. I don't even know why he did this. But um, the WBC put a special belt on, as they always do, because WBC loves mm-hmm. to get involved in everything, put random <laughs> belts on, and, um, which I'm not a big fan of. But um, And they put him on against Joe Smith Jr., which was an absolute disaster. Because Joe Smith Jr., he's not a very good fighter, but he punches like a mule, and he's so tough. So almost mm-hmm. anything you wouldn't want to fight when you're 52, like yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he ended up getting punched out of the ring, didn't he? And that was it. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, he fell out of the ring. Um, yeah, like you say, people like to pick up people's records, don't they? But at the end of the day, you're talking. I think Lennox Lewis, like one of the top five heavyweights of all time, easily. And um, I didn't even think that's a dispute. Like I don't think that's up for dispute. But I mean, um, I actually have him at number three, but I don't want to. But where the top five can be, you can almost like real. Yeah, you can interchange them, can't you? I yeah. say top five because it's just you can't really not put him in the top five. That's why I say it really. Yeah, and I think Calzaghe as well is like you know he's one of the greatest of all times. Um, like for me, I look at like Calzaghe and um, Mayweather, um, and I just think if you're going your whole career and you're going undefeated like you could argue with in Mayweather's case I know some people argue that um you know some of the people he's fought maybe aren't top tier but you know he's won all the titles he's held everything he you know he's top of his game same as Calzaghe like how can you say they're anything other than some of the greatest boxers of all time I find it really bizarre that people are so desperate to uh like prove otherwise almost Right, okay. Uh, Lennox Lewis, Ty- um, Tyson Fury. <laughs> Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson. Uh, Danny, first round, what do you, uh, you make of it? I thought it was hectic. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I was really surprised to see Lennox Lewis sort of lock horns with Ty- Tyson, really, to be honest. Um, you know, Lennox, for me, is almost ploddy. He really likes to control the pace. But um, he, was, he looked like he was really up for the row um, and to meet him force on force. Um, I was really surprised to see that, that you know, they, they gave him that first round, you know, when they were talking in the commentary. And, and I couldn't see it. I still feel like Lennox Lewis was doing a crisper work. Um, it looked like Tyson was really struggling with his range. He was either too far out or so far in. He was he was getting lent on by Lennox Lewis, which I think was a good strategy for Lennox Lewis. You know, he, he was using that really tall frame and that, that heavy size of his uh, to take the sting out of Tyson's towel, which is predominantly in those first four rounds, I would suggest, where he's at his most dangerous. He's doing the right thing by leaning on him. Um, yeah, I mean, Tyson definitely looked lively in that first round. Um, and, and, you know, it, it can make you rub your hands together thinking that you, you're going to get that that sort of fight that we expect from him. Um, but, you know, that, that first round where he had that sort of energy and vigour, it was that round and, and no other round as far as I was concerned. Um, but I still would have given that round to, to Lewis, to be honest. Yeah, I thought maybe Tyson, maybe. But, um, like, I was surprised with Lewis's... Uh, kind of outlook on the fight he went he did go in um and he was mixing it up he had a couple of really wild swings there was one uh really wild right uppercut from Lennox Lewis and it missed it missed ended up missing by quite a way but I tell you if it had if it had connected I think it would have taken uh, Mike Tyson off his feet because it was just you know you don't see many uh kind of it was like a haymaker almost and then yeah um, yeah it's like they hugged it out a bit towards the end of the round. But that first sort of, I'd say, minute, minute and a half was just wild. They were both swinging. Yeah, they were both getting stuck in. It, um, it yeah. was fascinating, fascinating to watch because, you know, obviously I haven't watched this for God knows how many years. So I watched it this morning and I was expecting fully for, you know, Tyson to try and get in the pocket and just mm. bring Shane back in here now. Um yeah, I was expecting, uh, you know, Tyson to try and get in the pocket and, and you know, hit him with a big, try and hit him with some big shots, maybe work the body. And I was expecting Lennox Lewis to, you know, sit behind his jab and just, like you said, control the pace. And um, mm-hmm. that certainly that first minute and a half, Lewis seemed quite happy to mix it up um, with a couple of wild swings. The referee, by the way, did my head in in the whole fight. Oh, which I we'll thought get it was terrible to. reffing, yeah. Um, and even the commentators, like the last few fights we've watched, uh, Dan, where it's been a British fighter versus an American fighter, we've we, I've watched them with American commentators, and they are very one-sided towards the American fighter. But there was one guy on the, the coverage which I watched, he did not like Mike Tyson at all. Mm-hmm. And he was really slating him, like really, like um, he said, oh, let, uh, to the one guy said, oh, Lennox Lewis has just been leaning on Tyson all the way. He's not boxing. And then the the other guy was just went, well, he's just he's been punching the crap out of uh, Mike Tyson for the whole fight. Then <laughs> like cracking. But um, Shane, what did you make of that first round? Were you surprised at the the pace of it? Do you know what? I I I am. I I was and I wasn't. The reason why I'm not is because sometimes fighters would like to feel almost the best of what a fighter can throw, and they usually do that early on. Um, a good a, a, one example I can think of, and this is a really random example. I don't know why I'm going to use this one, but we will anyway. 
David Hay against John Ruiz um, okay. for the WBA heavyweight title. As much as it wasn't a very good fight, and um, John Ruiz was well past it. Da- you see, John Ruiz almost just stands in front of David Hay, which obviously would be a bizarre thing to do. But he's what he did, and he takes David Hay's best haymaker, he goes down, and he gets back up, but fine, not bothered. It's almost like he wanted to feel what the best that, um, that he has. And then you then set the pace for the rest of the fight, knowing that's best what they have then. And that does happen a lot with fighters early doors. It doesn't happen all the time. It does happen often. And and it's probably a little bit with the hype that went with the fight in the fight week and all that. He probably did get up in Lennox's grill a little bit and thought, and he thought, you know what? I'll go and have it with you and show you that I can do it your way a bit as well. Yeah, Yeah, I think there was definitely an aspect to that because, like I said, I'm watching the the post-fight, like the... The guy interviewing him asked Lennox Lewis, he said, you know, you were really upset by some of the stuff that Tyson had said in the build-up to the fight. Did that, you know, did that impact your game plan? And you could see, well, like like we've just all just really said, like Lennox Lewis perhaps didn't do what we expected by in that first round. And maybe that was a bit of, you know, right, we're going to have it because you've been a bit of a dick in the, you know, in the build-up. But it didn't take long, I think, after that initial sort of minute and a half, two minutes, they kind of, Lewis lent on him a bit then towards the end of the round. And then that second round, I felt like Lewis settled into a a pattern and a game plan then where he was, you know, to be fair to Tyson, by the way, um, in the fight generally, he took some big, big shots. And, uh, yeah. you know, he he didn't go down really until later on in the fight. Um Shane, did you give that first round to Lennox Lewis or, or Mike Tyson? Because I know the the announcers go, or the, the TV guy gave it to Tyson, I think. Danny said he gave it to Lewis. What did I watch the first? Oh, no, I gave that to Lewis, definitely. Because um, I just felt like um, the cleaner shots were coming from Lennox Lewis. I felt like the work rate was better. I just feel like it was, it was better run. A lot of the times, um, commentary do this all the time. And this is why sometimes I don't watch um, fights... Uh, I watched them live, but without the commentary on, I turned the mm. volume off. Because often, punches that are not actually landing clean, so like gloves, arms and stuff, they will score rounds and things like that. And it, the art of the sport is to hit and not get hit, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like they instantly forget that as soon as a fight starts, for some reason. And um, like, uh, and, you, uh, and they're supposed to be experts. You think they wouldn't ever forget it, because it is like the one rule of the sport, really. But, um, <laughs> and they so yeah, no, definitely Lennox Lewis. And But it's one of them ones, I wouldn't, really argue too much the other way if they gave it the other way. It was, it's a close round, but I would definitely pick, pick Len, uh, Lennox to win the round. I thought Lennox won every round fairly comfortably, if I'm quite honest with you. So Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, Dan, what did um, what was the fight we watched the other day where the fight, uh, it was like literally 12 rounds to to zip? Um, uh, was that with the boxing? Um, yeah. Was it the Kawasaki uh, fight? Was, I think it was Kawasaki, yeah. Yeah, we watched was that. Was was it with Bernard Hopkins? It was that one, wasn't it? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, so we watched the uh, like a Joe Kazagi. We watched Hopkins and we watched the Roy Jones Jr. fight. But there was, I think, it was the Hopkins fight. Um, yeah. Kazagi won like twelve zip easy. Like it was, I felt like it was really comfortable to score the rounds. And I think there was only one round where you could argue maybe uh, the other guy had won won the round. But the the announcers. They gave, I think, the first two or three rounds the, split the other way. Decision, it, in the end? Yeah. The split decision against um, Bernardo. Yeah. It's quite yeah. Russia, though. Yeah, you get that away from home, man. Wasn't it Adelaide Bird again as well that did it? 
I'm sure yeah. it was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Worst yeah. judge ever. Honestly, how that woman gets yeah. such a good paycheck after every fight. I mean, it almost has to be a coincidence that she gets paid so well. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's still going, yeah. Yeah, she she's the one who messed up the um, Canelo Triple G fight, the first one, didn't she? Was she? Like, I she didn't realise it was her. Yeah, yeah, that was her that done the awful scorecard. Where I think she gave, didn't she give Triple G one round and whole, or two rounds in the whole fight or something ridiculous like that? Like honestly, <laughs> that woman, she's one of the most respected, the biggest judges at all time. Believe it or not, believe it or not, Jesus. I don't know one fight that she's judged fairly. Honestly, like that she's woman. Is, I don't know if she's watching one of the scraps in the crowd or something when the fight's going on. And, and that's <laughs> maybe like maybe there was a ginger geezer in the crowd fighting another like banner geezer or whatever, and she was scoring that one. I don't know. But yeah, she's crazy. Yeah, she gave um she I think she gave ten rounds to Canelo or something and two to Golovkin. And then the fans were like proper pissed off. Um thing is she's one of those judges where fight is if you know she's judging, you'll believe you've lost a fight even before you've gone in the ring. And that yeah. and that's a problem with people like that. Like I don't That's really gotta know be a distraction, judges, mate, doesn't it? About, yeah, I mean they, they say about putting judges in a room with a TV so they haven't got a crowd influence and all that. But I don't really believe that because there also comes a lot of problems with stuff like that as well. Like, I just think you need people who know the sport inside out, yeah. that have got no connection between any of them, and let them judge a fight. Like, because you don't even need to be a boxing fan, a, a hardcore boxing fan, to tell it um, how close a fight is or who wins a fight, yeah? If it's a mm. close fight and one fighter gets the nod, then that's fair enough. Because it's a close fight. You can usually, there'll be close friends, you can pick them either way. But if a fight is so one-sided... And it goes away. I honestly, it just almost makes me think like you must be corrupt or something. Like, mm. what is it? Like, mm. what is it? Do you know when um, I asked? I always ask like fighters, MMA and boxing, this question. But um, do you think it would be better to have ex fighters be referees, judges, to kind of people who know the sport in and out, inside and out, to be able to judge these cards? You know. Properly, because there's nothing worse than seeing an absolute banger of a fight go full five rounds in MMA or full 12 rounds in boxing, and then the scorecards just be ridiculous for whatever reason and it ruins the whole fight. Do you think it would be better to have, um, you know, like ex fighters be the judges and referees, uh, Shane? Yeah, I think um, for sure. Um, in Br- in British boxing, we actually do have a lot of um, train uh, a lot of uh, judges and referees that are former fighters. You've got Ian John Lewis, who's former Southern Area champion. He's a very big um, boxing referee, one of the biggest in British boxing now. You have uh, Terry O'Connor, another one of the biggest. He's the one who done the controversial scorecard for Huey Fury against Joseph Parker. I mean, okay. even then, look, another again experienced heavyweight um, in the past. Does a dodgy scorecard? There's a 118 110 scorecard, which it never was. And um, it's it, 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 it's not always if you're an ex pro or if you're an ex trainer or whatever, it doesn't always mean that. Like some, and that's even more dangerous because if it's an ex uh, pro or whatnot, there's there's going to be cases where they're going to know other pros and they could be closer to them than what they are to others, and they might have an agenda against one, or they might yeah. have an agenda against that pro fighter's trainer or something like that. And that's the risk that comes in with those kind of things, really. And um, and like I said, pro or not, or former pro or trainer or not, they all make mistakes. Like Ian John Lewis has done plenty of stopped plenty of fights too early. 
Um, but he's also done some great ones not digging out injuries. And um, Terry O'Connor is ref. He's a referee as well. He's done some very poor stoppages and he's done some very poor judging as well. But he's also done very good ones as well. So it's not a dig at him at all. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. And Dan, uh, round two, mate. What you got? Uh, what, would you yeah, make round two. Yeah. Um, you, you, you could see Tyson. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Lennox Lewis was getting Tyson almost like in a tie clinch. I don't know whether you, you, you notice that he's actually leaning with both his forearms onto his shoulders, and um and and then he would give him a shove. He's always shoving him away, and I think this was you know again a part of his game plan. Maybe it stopped Tyson perhaps being potentially really dangerous. You're breaking free from that clinch and and trying to clip him with the powerful hooks that we know that he's got. Um, so I know he's leaning on him and pushing him away in a specific type of way. As an observation, that I think you know was that part of his plan. This is something that he he was you know thinking that that would be a good strategy to try to weigh down on Tyson. Um, and also, uh, you'll see in this uppercut, he was really feeling that out. And I felt like this is going to be a tool that he felt would would lead to a stoppage at some point. Because um, that uppercut would look really dangerous. It was all jab and all uppercut. And I think that was the first inkling that that was going to be something that was going to be playing a part in the fight in a big way at some point. Yeah, like we mentioned about um, Tyson gassing out a lot in his fights. And I wonder whether Ty- uh, Lennox Lewis was using the leaning on him with both arms, particularly just to, to add that extra bit of fatigue into, you know, into uh, Mike Tyson's game. Because, yeah. you know, Lennox Lewis is such a big guy. And the other thing was I noticed straight away in the second round is um, Mike Tyson was quite often stretching to try and hit his punches. So he was mm. almost off balance. So you felt like if Lewis was able to catch one of those big uppercuts, he probably would do some damage because Tyson felt like he was always on the stretch and you know, almost, you know, off balance, um, which is not something that you'd necessarily associate, you know, with uh, Mike Tyson. He's, you know, he's got a great body movement and uh, balance. Yeah. Um, Shane, yeah. what did you make of round two? Oh, sorry, go on, mate. Uh, sorry, Dan. No, I was just going to say, yeah, Tyson looked like he was forced to jab more than he would normally. <laughs> Uh, as well, which you know, to me would indicate that he really was struggling with that range and trying to find a way in. Normally, he'd just bob and weave his way in, but that wasn't working for him. And he was having to almost play a jab game along with Lennox Lewis, which he was never going to win. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Shane, what did you make of that second round, mate? Well, I believe after the first round, um, Lennox Lewis would have suffered with the hairdryer treatment from Emmanuel Stewart. And, oh, yeah. Um, you could tell that he definitely did. So, a very much different, um, I think, Lennox Lewis in the second round that he started to use, which the tactics, I'm sure, would have been in the um, Quonk gym. Um, fire the jab, lean, use your size advantage. The guy is a tiny heavyweight. Don't mix and get involved. And he started to see a bit more. And it, it, a little bit like what Danny just said, it was a bit surprising a bit more what I saw from Mike Tyson and himself. Actually using um, more of his technique and skill, off the, working off the jab more than... Um, um, than getting involved. I don't know if that was initially a trick, if that was a mind game trying to work it to try and get Lennox Lewis to think, well, maybe he is coming in with a different side. He's worked on something different for this camp. I don't know if that's what it was. Because obviously every fight that you would go into against Mike Tyson, I'm assuming that every fighter would be paired for someone just to come and brawl with them rather than a guy to work off the jab or anything like that. So I don't know if it was that. Or I don't know if maybe Len- uh, sorry, if Tyson was feeling the effect from the first round, the work from the first mm-hmm. round. Maybe he's thinking... I know that I can't go out to brawl and to try and take um, Lennox's head off um, in this fight for, for um, 
the first three rounds, what happens if I gas? Like it's it's all these you could put all these factors into it, but yeah, it's um another very well I wouldn't say another very clear round because the first round you couldn't say it's very clear although I did give it to Lennox, but I think a very clear round for Lennox. Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought Lewis was very settled in the second round, whereas the first round I felt was quite hectic. And wouldn't he? Very comfortable. yeah, yeah. There's not many he people just, that say that they ever got into a ring with Mike Tyson and look comfortable. And yeah, he just looked settled, didn't he? He just looked like proper... As soon as, as, soon as his coach or his trainer finished talking to him after that first round, he just came out and it was business. It was just all the game plan was in place. And he never really looked at any point after that in any trouble. He never looked as if he was too worried even about getting caught by that big shot. It was just, you know, he was just doing his thing and doing his game. And, um, you know, Tyson struggled uh, to find his range. He struggled to to really do any damage to, to Lennox Lewis throughout. Um, okay, Dan, take us through round three, mate. Uh, round three, um, yeah, we've seen very, very similar things. I think the, the, the biggest difference for me was that Lennox, I think, he's got so many warnings from the referee. Um, in that second round, he, he, rather than getting in that tie clinch, he was putting his arms out wide, um, you know, to show that he wasn't trying to hold on. Um, and then he was touching his jab in rather than do a, a, a stiffer jab. It looked like he was just pouring the jab um, to try to not allow those engagements, because I think those warnings must have been playing on his mind a little bit. I was worried about getting a point deducted. So he was really trying not to aggravate the referee. I, I felt like he must have felt like um, he was up against Tyson and the ref because the ref was always on Lennox Lewis. And I don't think Lennox Lewis fought dirty at all. Um, okay, there was a little bit of leaning going on, but that's got to be the body compositions that caused that. You know, that the height difference is, is so apparent. Of, of course, at some points when it gets engaged in close, there's going to be some kind of leaning factor. Um, so I felt like, you know, maybe that was playing on his mind a little bit. He's trying to... You know, keep the referee happy as well as trying to concentrate on the fight. But um, I feel like, um, yeah, touching that jab in, maybe prepping up something with that uppercut again. I think that was always on the cards at some point for Lennox Lewis. But another good round. I just felt like now Lennox, uh, sorry, uh, Tyson was slowing up even more. Now it looked already at this stage that uh, Tyson didn't have enough power to rock Lennox Lewis. Yeah, the, the referee was frustrating for me because like, of all the fights I've seen over the years, um, did I didn't think that Lennox Lewis leaning on Tyson was excessive. I didn't think it was particularly, you know, he wasn't like grabbing him and pulling him in to try and do it all the time. It was when Tyson was going in for the, you know, to try and get in the pocket and getting close. He was just using, you know, it was like a natural uh, position for him because of the height difference. So it was a bit frustrating. The referee was very keen to put a stop to it straight away. And obviously later on in the fight, he does take a point away. Um, what did you make of it all, Shane, that third round? Um, very Again, very similar um, in a sense. Yeah, I, I, I do. I believe that the referee would probably have been like that because he would have been warned about Lennox Lewis's holding and leaning um, before the fight. And it probably got into his head a little bit. You see, you see, when they go to the fighters' dressing rooms and stuff like that, um, let's say, I think it's about 45 minutes before the fight starts. And um, just to go over the rules of the night, like make sure like they've got the right equipment, ETC, all, all of that stuff. They probably, probably got in there and they probably all said about 
Lennox Lewis is leaning. Lennox Lewis is leaning. Because it's, it's something that he has done a lot over his career. But he's not... He does it fine in the sense that, like, he does it when he has to. He doesn't go overboard of it. And I think you're right in saying that I don't actually think it was actually that bad. But if he's had it all evening, which he probably has, and even before he even um, got to the venue that night, he's obviously got it into his head. And that's just going to be one of the things that he always looks for. Mm. And also, like, um, I agree with what Danny said. And obviously, I know you... Um, um, agreed with him as well, um, in the sense that style-wise, that's going to happen because where Mike has to get in close and get in tight, naturally, you're just going to come together and that's the way that it's going to be. If Mike Tyson was the bigger man, it would be that way. It's just the yeah. way that the, the, the size difference works. And again, another, um, it, it, you just see Lennox getting more and more comfortable, um, the confidence growing through the fight. And I just think you st- you start to see from this point onwards, a start um a fall in Mike Tyson in the sense that he loses belief himself. Well, funny you should say that. Um, I've just got, I've got a fight on in, in uh, my, my other screen here, just to remind me really. And then um, I've just paused it now as they've come out for that fourth round and Lennox Lewis gets up and marches to the front, uh, to the middle of the ring, ready to start the round four. And by the time he gets to the middle of the ring and the referee's ready to start, Mike Tyson still sat in his chair or on his stool and he's like slowly, almost reluctantly getting up. Now I know we're talk- we've talked about him being gassed, and maybe stamina isn't a big, you know, his strongest part of his game. But that, from a belief point of view, is not something that you'd necessarily uh, associate with Mike Tyson. That he doesn't believe in himself, or he doesn't, you know, feel confident that he can go and finish a fight or get a knockout. Um, and I think that's really clear by his body language that he was losing belief that he was going to be able to beat Lennox Lewis. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that I just it was just I, I was it was on the screen as you said it about him losing confidence. Um, round four, Danny. Yeah, round four. Uh, I just felt like now Lennox was literally just using combinations. Uh, you see his right hand get really active with both uppercuts and hooks. Um, he's using his jab well, going in with just one twos, double jab, cross. Um, yeah, it was. It looked like he was doing a bag work session in this fourth round. Uh, I think he felt it that Tyson was no longer a, a real threat to him. Of mm. course, you know it's always a you know, puncher's chance that's in there. But weighing up all of that, I think he was now enjoying himself in there almost. It, it, he knew it was going his way. He knows that the fight is going to go more in his favour per round. And I think he was just really trying to open up more of his combinations and try to get a situation which would cause a knockdown. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. And to put to the point where there's um, where Tyson's trying to kind of clinch up, instead of leaning on him at certain points this time, Lennox Lewis actually shoves him away to try mm. and hit him with a couple of combinations rather than leaning on him. And, you know, part of that's probably going to be because of the, you know, the referees warned him about it several times. But it's also, I feel, that he now believes that he could finish the fight, you know, sooner yeah, rather I than later. Any of the leaning that did happen was obviously some sort of strategy in place. So I don't think it was, you know, the whole part of it, but certainly to take out some of the strength in, in Mike. And it done its job. It served its purpose. And now I feel like he was opening up with the combinations now. Now he feels that he's no longer so dangerous. Yeah, and what you did see in this round was in the when they did get in close, is Lennox Lewis actually hit a couple of uppercuts in the pocket, as yeah. opposed to what you know that was what Mike Tyson was trying to do. Um, Shane, what did you uh, make of the round, the fourth round? Very much um, the same. I just feel like 
you see, like I said in the um, third one, a very much more confident Lennox Lewis. Like you said, he doesn't have to lean as much. I feel like he knows that round is when everyone can really tell what way this fight was going. I don't even think Mike Tyson at this point had a punch chance because I just felt like he didn't have anything really left in the tank to generate the power from. And you're, you're starting to see, like a little bit like I said towards the end of the last round, and Mike Tyson has lost a bit of belief in himself that he doesn't really see a way out of this fight for himself either with him coming out with the W is what I mean. And um, I, you start to see that, like you said, rather than holding, you're seeing um, Lennox unloading a few combinations of them as well. And it's a start of the um, downfall in the fight, really, of um, Mike Tyson in the fight. And I think the fifth goes very much the same way as well. Mm. Yeah, just towards the end of the that fourth round, um, Tyson does hit like a big left hook, and he really loads up on the on the punch. And Lennox Lewis doesn't even flinch, which I think kind of goes along with what you were just saying there. Whereby uh, Tyson, because of his fatigue, belief, everything which goes with it, didn't didn't have the power that you'd necessarily associate with Mike Tyson. Um, and then right at the end of the round. Um, Mike Tyson ends up on his ass and he's down. Um, the referee doesn't call it a knockdown. I don't believe. I think he, you know, he says it's a, a stumble or whatever. Did you feel that Dan that that was a knockdown at the, right at the end of that round, fourth round, or did you think that the referee was right? There? Yeah, I think it could have been, but he kind of lent on him. It's kind of it kind it of weird. Ruined one, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to know how they would truly see that, you know, in terms of judges and, and refereeing. Um, you know, to me, I think it, it it should you know it was going to be a knockdown, but yeah, how do you see these things? You'd have to really ask a uh, an actual referee, an actual judge, how they see things like that. Yeah, do you do think that was a knockdown, Shane? Like right at the end, he kind of leans on him and hits him just after, but I wasn't quite sure myself. In the, at the end of the day, the rules is if the glove connects and you go down. It, and it's from a punch. At the end of the day, even if it's a bit of a shove on it, it gives given it a knockdown. That's just, that's mm. just the actual. It's a very straightforward rule, it's, and it's got to be straightforward mm. because if you have ifs and and, and buts, then it comes a very hard rule to enforce. And what a knockdown was, mm. and essentially, I don't think he was knocked down from actually that, but it's but it should yeah. be given as a knockdown based on what the rule, yeah. the rule is. Um, I think more than anything, you're just seeing an exhausted Mike Tyson. I don't think he was necessarily hurt. I don't necessarily think that. I think it's just more exhaustion than anything else. And mm. um, but it, it's yeah. So essentially, yes, it's a knockdown if you're going off the rule book, which obviously you should do because it's the easiest way to make a decision on something. So, yeah, it's a knockdown. But I don't think he was knocked down because of the punch itself. I think it's yeah, the shove. And essentially, the shove that takes you, him, if you're shoved over, it doesn't get counted as a knockdown. But if by the rules, it is a knockdown because you did get hit as well. And then, um, yeah, and technically, that's the first time that Tyson's head was ever put down in his career, obviously, because the referee didn't call it as a knockdown. It's the one later in the fight which counts. Um, what I noticed, so I'll take us into round five. Like, what I noticed about round five straight away is Tyson's trying to clinch up at every opportunity, um, which, you know, again, goes into his belief, his confidence. But also, I think fatigue is massive for Tyson. And, I I gotta say, like I don't want to be disrespectful because I'm a massive fan of Mike Tyson, but um, in this fight and in this fifth round, um, it looks like a training bout for Lennox Lewis at points. He's just 
sat behind his job and he's just picking his punches like he's decided the pace if he wants it to quicken up, slow down. He is just taking Mike Tyson apart. And like I agree with you, Shane, like at, the, at this point, at this sort of early round five, uh, you know, Mike Tyson's not under, you know, he hasn't been hurt. He's not really busted up or anything. But I think from this point now is where you, where you do start to see a bit of damage and, and a bit of blood where he, you know, he is defending himself, but he's getting hit at will by uh, Lennox Lewis. Um, so go on, we'll switch it up a bit. Shane, what did you make of this fifth round? Yeah, I, I just think round five, more the same, more the same um, in the sense that it's just like the, the whole fight in a sense, other than the first, which we spoke about earlier, it goes in the same flow in the sense that like a very comfortable Lennox Lewis, the only one getting real success, Lennox Lewis. Obviously, Mike Carson has his moments in a sense, but even the moments are not really meaning anything because when he does connect, he does land. Um, again, the power is not there because if you're exhausted, your legs have gone um, and the power doesn't exist no more. Hence why he went down because, um, it, like I said, he was exhausted. Legs weren't there anymore, which is where his power was coming from. Because Mike Tyson, when he really swings, it's from the legs, man. It's like really, really puts it all mm. into every punch as well. And that's a lot of the reason why he exhausts because you can't, especially as a heavyweight, I don't really believe you can do it anyway, but as a heavyweight, you really can't punch like that because they they've got to carry that weight around for them around, especially in championship fights, it's just not really possible to do that. And it's just more again the same where he's getting caught, he's getting caught in close. That's what surprised me more in the fight. I would actually probably say um, that more than um, anything else, how unsuccessful Mike Tyson was getting in close. I thought he would have been able to work the body a lot better with Lennox Lewis and um, maybe try and slow Lennox's jab down and his feet down a lot more. By doing that, but he didn't really even get that at all, any success there either. And um, it's just more the same. I, I just believe that, again, like I said, from round three, that fight was lost and over, really. And you just, and it just capitalizes it even more on that round, which then goes on to foresee the finish, really. Yeah. And I think, if anything, um, Lennox Lewis had more success in, you know, in the pocket and close in than, you know, where you, like you just said, you'd expected. Mike Tyson to to get some success there and to slow Lennox Lewis down. The reason being that though, there's a good reason for that. If you if you're if you've got nothing left in the tank, in on the inside is where you're going to be able to fire the most shots. Mm. Because obviously at range it's hard to fire shots off very fast. But if you're in close, it's easy. You can throw fire um, throw in quick combinations very easily. Now Lennox Lewis, he's still got a lot left in the tank at this point is able to fire off shots very comfortably on the inside at, at a good speed as well, at a good pace, because it's a lot easier to fire the shots off there. If the other guy is gassed, which he was, he hasn't got a lot of left to give back on the inside, and now he's just there to be hit on the inside. If you're on the outside, you can't really throw a lot of shots. Like You can't throw uh, an uppercut, for example, on the outside and stuff like that, you know? You have to yeah. come in getting close, and this is where you fire the shots from. And that's why he had a lot more success. It doesn't mean he's a better inside fighter than Mike Tyson. It's just the fact that he used the game plan perfectly and then was able to beat Mike Tyson at his own game because he made sure he got him um, exhausted first. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, in, in some ways, I find it not sad, but, like, it's frustrating, like we discussed at the start, because, you know, we would, would have all liked to have seen a really uh, motivated and focused Mike Tyson take on Lennox Lewis in this form to really see a classic fight. And like I said, 
I feel like at some points it looks like Lennox Lewis is almost in, you know, a sparring session, just working that jab. And as you watch him, as he leaves the fifth round, he's got a swagger in his step because he knows, you know, he knows this. If he doesn't do anything stupid, it's job done. Um, Danny, take us through your thoughts for round five and then take us into round six as well, mate. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, round five. I thought that round four where he was hitting all the combinations, he was getting right hand happy. Uh, obviously, that takes a lot of energy to do so. We're now getting to the middle sector of the fight, um, you know, heading towards. Um, and I feel like that, that tired Lennox a little bit, not in a way where you saw any fatigue, but the difference between round four and round five for me was that you saw the, the jab coming into effect a whole lot more. It's like um, he wasn't far enough for as many right hands. He was happy just to stay on the outside um, and grind away at Mike Tyson and just score another round. Um, it, 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 he wasn't head hunting with that right hand as much. Um, but also, I think um, that he kept it at range more with, with the jab and not, not throwing so many right hands, partly because you've got to try and predict what the other corner might be saying. And you've got, to, you've got to think to yourselves, well, the other corner got to be saying, look, you, you've got to, exactly what Shane was saying, work in close, work the body, try, try and take something out of Lennox's game. Um, and if you know that for Mike Tyson to sort of stand a chance and come in close, you want to keep him away. And I think he stopped Mike Tyson being able to try to get hold of a strategy that might lead to something. Um, so he just kept it long um, and, and kept it simple and kept it simplistic. Because it's just another round in the bag and another round that's taking more out of uh, Mike Tyson than it is Lance Lewis. Um, and round six, um, yeah, I just saw very much similar to round five. Um, just looking back at my... Oh, yeah, he started firing off a lot of one-twos. So it was really, really simple. He knew his jab was landing. Um, he would go one-two, one-two, time, time again. And you, you see Lennox Lewis's uh, jab landing on the forehead constantly and driving Tyson's head back. Um, that jab now was becoming a weapon. He was getting confidence to throw straight one-twos, which is really simple, and digging in the odd uppercut as well. It, it, it was now looking really uncomfortable for, for Mike Tyson. It was just a case of now for me, you know, was he going to get to the end of the fight or not? Um, it wasn't a case of can Tyson get back into it anymore? Yeah, I felt like um, Lewis really smelled blood now. He really felt like... Mm. You know, he could finish it at any time. He hits, he nails a couple of um, really big right hands uh, mm. after some jabs and some good combinations. Um, and Tyson, whilst he doesn't look rocked in a fight-ending way, his legs do start to look jelly-like, shall we say. He is rocking about a bit. His hands are low. Um, his punches are wild as well. Um, he's lost the kind of... the the technique which you so you know saw earlier in the fight he's almost like stumbling about a bit that balance i was mm. talking about um shane what did you sort of take from round 6 and then sort of take us into round 7 mate as well do you know what i think about round 6 i just see um see lennox lewis is a much bigger puncher from range than he is on the inside right and i just see a little bit like what danny was saying it's, it's almost like um um, Lennox is more setting himself up for the finish now. He knows that this fight is going. He knows how this fight's going to end up. And it's almost like you can see, he's just pinging Mike's head back. And it's almost like he's just, he's going to set himself up for the big right hand. That's almost what he's setting himself up for. And um, it's and, and that's obviously what does come two rounds later. And um, that's what you can just see. He's just setting up for the finish. 
he's working it out how he's going to finish him. And that's just what it looks like he's doing from that round. And he, he adds a bit more into that in the seventh as well. But yeah, he um, that's what it looks like. It's just controlled, very one-sided again, very comfortable. I actually, at this point, I'm very surprised that um, Mike Tyson's corner didn't decide to pull mm. him out, to be honest. So I think now he's starting to take unnecessary punishment. Mm. You, you, you're starting to, you've got to start asking yourself questions. How is my guy going to win this fight? What can he pull out? Yeah, obviously Mike Tyson is a big puncher, so you would always give him that live um, chance, a puncher chance. But at this point, he is no longer a puncher because, like I said before, the power is not in the legs no more. He's just showing that he's a tough guy in there at this point at the time because most fighters are. They're um, very, obviously, big egos. They're not going to quit. They want to go out on their shields. And that's almost what he's looking like for Mike Tyson at this point. And this is where it comes down to having a good corner, a good team around you that genuinely care about you. As much as Mike Tyson yeah. never going to want to be pulled out of that fight. And I'm sure if he did, he would have gone mental. But at the end of the day, he's taken unnecessary yeah. punishment now, in my opinion. And this would have been an, a very good point chance for Mike to have been pulled out of the fight. Yeah, and I mean, just as you were saying that, I was watching the, the corner talk to, to Mike Tyson. He looks dishevelled. Uh, his nose is all busted up. The, the ice in like his temples on both sides where he's taken some big shots. And they showed a replay of some of the shots from round six. And he took some, two massive shots to behind the ear. Um, and you're right. Like I'd said about uh, it's like a sparring session for Lennox Lewis. And I meant in terms of like the work that Lennox Lewis is having to do from a defensive point of view. But that doesn't mean by any means that he's not punching very, very hard. And he's nailing, you know, he's as the fight's going on, those shots are getting cleaner because Tyson's hands are getting lower and he's becoming less effective in his, his defense of the shots. Um, and I agree with you. I think that round six, seven is where if that, corner really really cares for Mike Tyson they should at least consider you know they should at least be thinking right does this you know does my guy need to keep getting smashed around the head around the face you know or is this the time not saying that they should have pulled him out but I think they should have been at least considering it um Danny what did you make of uh round seven and just take us into round eight then mate as well yeah, yeah. Uh, round seven uh, was was a lot of pouring jabs. Um, he was like tripling them up, even doing quadruple jabs. I mean, I don't know whether they'd even score as jabs. They was literally just touching his forehead just so he could line up that piercing drive through of a cross hand. Um, yeah, I felt like he was loading up that cross hand and just getting that left shoulder forward with the jab so he can load up that that right shoulder of his, really digging those shots in now. He's really trying to hurt Mike now. And rather than trying to hurt uh, Mike with uh, any combination, which would take a lot of effort, he was merely touching that jab in and being efficient, keeping all that energy for that right cross. Um, it, you know, it didn't get to one to land in super clean, but it, it was just making you wonder whether anyone, one of those punches, if they did hit home, whether it knocked uh, Mike on his ass. Um, you know, really dominant, round and and this was one of the rounds where really the only thing I saw Tyson do was land a, a counter jab at times but there was just absolutely nothing on it his head rolling had gone to a nylon stop you know his head was just there he's standing in front of him his footwork had gone uh, yeah this was looking ugly and I actually agree with Shane I think this would have been a a, a round that Cornerman should have perhaps stepped in and said look no, this is going nowhere other than um, down a dark alley let's, let's just stop it let's just save his grace 
but they allowed him to to carry on another round. Um, and and I think he, he was just tired and done for, rather than it being um, a complete knockout. He was just he just had nothing to give. Um, you know, he got given that standing count, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, around about the I think there's about a minute and a half left. And I think, uh, sorry, Lennox Lewis just knew then. He, he knew just to go all out. Um, he started laying into him. And it was just looking really ugly. And, yeah, it was game over. What can you say? I, I just think this was a, a nearly perfect strategy from start to finish for Lennox Lewis. You know, um, he took the energy out of Mike Tyson. He kept himself safe in those early rounds. He lent on him. He tired him out. Uh, the centre portion of the rounds, he started to prep up some 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 damage on him and, and uh, to stop any strategy changing that Mike Tyson might have been able to go to. And once he squashed that, once Tyson was a sitting target, it, he was started opening up on him, got that count put against him, and then tasted blood and, and went on to the finish. Um, a, absolute great fight by Lennox. Um, possibly his greatest ever performance. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, like we t- we we talked about about you know whether Tyson was fully focused, motivated, etc. But at the end of the day, Mike uh, Lennox Lewis's performance was exceptional, and um, mm. we talked about the coaches maybe should have stepped in um, and just coming straight into that round seven. Uh, Mike Tyson's right eye is closed; he takes massive shots, um, mm. and then you get the a big knockdown. Uh, after the standing count to finish it, um, so got yeah. Dan. You talk us through what you thought at the end, and uh, I'll just yeah. Then, part, like, like I was saying, um, you know, Lennox once he got that standing count because Lennox, I'm sorry, Tyson nearly dropped to his knees with some of those uppercuts. He, he nearly mm. went down. Um, yeah, man, and, big. and it was good. It was good that the referee stepped in to give him that count. But I think that was a good call to to stop the fight there and then. But um, well, it the went standing on, but, count, uh, you mean? Yeah, I think that. I think. Tyson had enough by then. He, yeah. he was absolutely done for. I think it should have been waved off. Um, but he did go on a little bit longer. He took a few more shots. And, um, yeah, it was Some a good big night. shots he took as well. Yeah, unnecessary as well. Yeah, yeah. Head, yeah. head trauma. Um, Shane, what did you think of the that closing round finish, everything? I mean, it's, it's a shame in a way, really. Like, um, I'm, I was never a big Mike Tyson fan, but even I wouldn't, like, I didn't like to see him get handled in that kind of way. And it, it's, you really have got to look at people's team, like I was saying a bit earlier, but I just want to add a bit more into this. In a sense that anyone who's been through a training camp of a fighter, you've seen what they put in and whatnot, and you, you, care, you, you have their best interest in heart. Your job is to look after your fighter and do, have their best interest in heart. Whether it's what they want, but it's what you have got to do, what is the right thing to do. The way that they allowed that fight to go on to eight rounds is, is in my opinion, disgusting. What he then had to go through in that round is disgusting as well. And um, you have to say, peach of a shot from Lennox, which ended up, um, even though they say it was a bit of a shove as he was going down, it wasn't. Um, no, he had a big shot. It, completely out of it. If anything, thank God he shoved him. Because if he hit him again, I don't know how that would have ended up. Yeah. But um, so uh, out of it, a very big cut around his eye as well. As you yeah, see, it, his, his eyes was closed, wasn't it? And it's just... Yeah, yeah, and it was. I'm, I'm, I'm actually more shocked that it took to the eighth round because after the fifth, I really thought it was, it could go any second in these next two rounds. So somehow made it to the eighth, and it was over. But like, thank God it was. I didn't want to see another round or another thirty seconds of, of that because it was um, one way traffic, and he was just getting hurt in there. Man, these heavyweights punch so hard, especially at that level. 
the accuracy, the punch, the time, and everything. It's just, and you're taking clean off someone that has got that could do that fight all over again at the same pace, mm. and that that's it's not good, man. So you know, at the end of the day, it was, and that's when you really start to tell yourself this is the end of Mike Tyson as a fighter, because obviously, yeah. like I did say, he did go on um, a six to seven fight winning streak, I believe against second-tier opposition. So then it gives you a bit of belief that maybe he can do it at the top level again. But then he's gone back in there against an elite fighter, got dominated basically from the first bell to the last, and got battered along the way. And it just goes to show that this is the end of the the fearful Mike Tyson, really. Yeah. Do you think, Shane, um, that it went as far as it did in, in, in terms of how deep it went into the rounds because of Lennox Lewis's character? Because he is a really chilled... Can't, you never really hear him shout. You don't ever see him get emotional. Do you think it's because everything he does is really sure-footed? I, I get the sense that everything he will do in life is very well thought out. Do you think he's just because of his personality being so, you know, so safe? He does everything safe. Although he gets the job done, he does it in such a sure-footed way. He wants to give no chance of a slip-up. He is. Le- yeah, you're right. 100%. Lennox Lewis is a very laid-back man. He's, a, he's, a, he's what you would call a gentleman. He, yeah. he, and he is, uh, to the word. Even, I've interviewed him a few times, and even then, absolute gentleman, even though yeah. the guy is um, one of the most famous boxers of all time, very fi- financial place, one of the few boxers we can say that about. And he's just an all-round gentleman. He doesn't get involved. At that point, Lennox Lewis is very experienced as well. Um and he just doesn't get involved and he doesn't need to. I think maybe the first round, we saw a little bit of him getting involved too much when he didn't have to. But he's a guy who would really follow the instructions of your trainer. He yeah. will act into what they say. Yeah. You can always use him as like a controller. It's almost like a computer controller. He's, the, the instructions he gets given is what he will um, enforce in the fight as well. Because the manual show, I mean, if he is telling you something to you, you do it. He knows mm. he knows what he's uh, talking about, you know. So, and and um, yeah, very much what Danny says. Yeah, very um, much knows how to keep his emotions intact. There, there have been times when we've seen that he hasn't. I mean, against Hassim Ratman, um, he let his emotions get into the fight. Hassim Ratman in the build uh, in the first fight, obviously, I'm talking about that. Hassim Ratman questioned Lennox Lewis' sexuality because at the time there was a lot of rumours going around mm, about Lennox Lewis being bisexual and and all this. And he used that to his advantage because he knew that Lennox was under pressure a lot from the media about it. It was going around. And being a boxer at that time, heavyweight world champion, you're an icon around the world, like especially as a heavyweight as well. If you get considered to be gay or anything like that at that time, that would just be, you'd just be, would look at you in a completely different way. And um, Hassan Ratman knew what to do to get under um, Lennox's skin. And he played that game and it worked. For the first yeah. fight, he caught him with that. Yeah. Um, I think it was Peach Less Hook, which uh, knocked out Lennox Lewis out cold. And um, yeah, but this fight very much, apart from the first round, but even then, Lennox still won it. So I, I feel like he did re- remotely get, get under Lennox's skin after yeah. into the first round. But after that, very controlled. But that's just Lennox for you in every sense of the word. Um, he is a very much a gentleman, very much relaxed. At the end of the day, he sees boxing, it's a, it's a business rather than personal. Mm. And, it, and it is, mm. and that's the way that it should be. Yeah. He's there to fight to do his job, and that's it. It shouldn't be personal. And that's the way that he saw it. Cool. So, that, yeah, that was Lennox Lewis and uh, Mike Tyson. So, I know, Shane, you joined us for the boxing this week. And uh, you're going to shoot off now, and you, while we uh, we talk some MMA to uh, spend some time with your lovely lady. So, uh, you have a good, e- good evening, my friend. And... Uh, I'll speak to you very soon, Shane. Cheers for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Good chat yeah. and uh, take care. And I'll speak to you all soon.
Good being here, Shane. Okay. So we're going to talk a bit of MMA now. And uh, so, look, so we're going to go, I think we'll go with the Jack Shaw part number four. Uh, right. So we watched uh, Jack Shaw versus Alexandros Germolitos. Uh, yes. This is the Cage Warriors Academy show from the Wales. God, God's country, Danny. God's country. Yes, yes. And uh, it was it was only two minutes long, but uh, it was still very, very interesting. Um, yeah. Because you had Jack Shaw looking very confident. Still looks mega young at this point. He still is young, you know, but he looks particularly young at this point. And uh, yep. he um, he goes in for the for a takedown straight away. And um, yep. Alexandros stuffs it straight away. He stops it. And then he does like a hip toss for, you know, it's probably not called that to you, but to, to me, it's a, it's a, like a judo hip toss. Um, yeah, it's Jack absolutely. Shaw. And you see Jack Shaw get taken down for the first time in his professional career. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd imagine if I'd have been watching that live and I didn't know that he had won, I'd have been like, oh, here we go. There's a bit of a test for him. Um, yeah. The the test didn't last long because it was not long before he, uh, you know, he got himself out of the position that he found himself in. Um, yeah. And he wins with a, you know, with a rear naked choke. And it was a, I thought the rear naked choke actually was fantastic because he, he mm-hmm. kind of puts it on um, and the guy tries to stand up. He tries to rig, he like tries to sort of, Flick him over the front of him to get him off, and he just remains calm and still. He, he's locked it in tight, and um, actually, when the guy tries to sort of flick him over the front of him, and he goes off to the side as if he's going to topple off his back, and mm. he almost locks it in tighter, so the guy has to stand up to yeah. re- to try and get out of it, and that actually helps Jack Shaw even more then because he's sure. obviously he gets centralized again into the position um thought it was very very clever very good um very impressive again mate what did you think yeah yeah uh yeah i mean it wasn't very long but there's a lot of interesting things that happen um you know jack Shaw makes no secret of what his intentions are he wants to shoot and get you on the ground he wants to overwhelm you with um submission attempts and, and ground a pound you know uh it, very much tried to do the same thing and got his way in the end, but it wasn't so straightforward for him. Um, like you say, he did get hip tossed, and this is because you know he shoots in so much down the centre line. He, he he drives forward because um, he likes to get people against the fence because this is where he's had his success. So he's just you know repeating the pattern that's got him the success previously. He's doing the same thing, but what happened this time was he he, he couldn't get get him down and keep him down. Alexandros got up. And then he charged into him again, which opened him up to have the angle changed and get hip tossed. Um, but the only issue with a hip toss is as much as it can score a lovely looking takedown, um, you know, it's not judo or anything. Um, it does give you a lack of control on the ground. And, and Jack Shaw, if you don't control a, a lot of key elements, um, he's going to wiggle out and count with the position. That's exactly what he did. So Alexandros got the hip toss. There was a lot of space between the hips. Um, Jack Shaw was able to to turn up on him and start pressurizing for that takedown again. Um, the only other little difficulty that Jack Shaw uh, got himself stuck in with was the fact that he got his head stuck down really low as well um, with the takedown. 
um, when he was shooting in, he shoots in with his head really low down on the hip. Um, and that got his head stuffed by Alexandros's body. Um, and, and that stops any switch and change of, of takedown steps and stops any drive. Um, so, you know, that was a little, little lessons that he would have taken away from that to, to perfect his, his way. It would have definitely evolved the, the way he approached fights in the future. But he got on the back. Uh, and when he got on the back, it, it, he just kept pushing, pushing for that rear naked choke. He tried some really interesting linkages with the legs. Um, he went from having two hooks uh, on the standing back position to then um, having two hooks with feet crisscrossed, which was a little bit unusual, which perhaps give him a little bit of stability there. But what you'd normally see with that situation is someone drive one leg a lot more deeper and they hang off to the side. Um, but he chose to keep really central. Um, but they are of lighter weight and that's more feasible for them to do. And he got a really good choke. Um, I do think that Alessandros uh, was definitely a, a step up in competition. You saw that he had something to actually throw back at Jack Shaw, but Jack Shaw, he just outgunned him at the end of the day. I, I, it looked like a, you know, a shotgun up against an Uzi. A shotgun's all well and good, but he got two attempts. That's what we saw yeah. from Alexandros. Then, he, then he, you know, he didn't even have a chance to reload his gun. Uh, Jack Shaw just kept throwing that Uzi shots at him and um, overwhelmed him and, and got the kill. Oh, yes. He was uh, he's very, very uh, impressive. And, um, you know, I'm really enjoying looking back at these fights. Um, they haven't been very long so far. Next week's is double the time. It's uh, a bit longer. Um, yeah. And I was just looking there. He's actually his cage warrior. He goes on a tear through cage warriors. Um, yeah. There's he does get a couple of uh, decision. Uh, he has to go to. He goes to a couple of decisions, uh, and some round three victories later on. But uh, for the time being, well, the next fight is four minutes forty six, and then when he fights a cage warrior is eighty seven. Uh, it goes to the third round. So oh wow, that'll be That's a, a really interesting one. So yeah. next week uh, in part five, we'll be looking at. Uh, his bout versus Matea Galibiate versus uh, from Cage Warriors 87, uh, which he wins by KO, interestingly enough. Oh, wow. To, uh, really look forward to seeing that one. So that's Cage Warriors 87, um, and he gets a title shot at Cage Warriors 97. So we've got a few parts, which is it's interesting. You know, it's just a little segment for us to, to have a look yeah, at sure. him. And uh, I like I say, I appreciate the uh, the gentleman who sent in the request. And uh, as I always say, guys, particularly when we've got no current stuff to cover, if there's any particular boxing matches or MMA bouts or a particular fighter you would like us to look at, you know, bit by bit, once we finish with Jack Shaw, we're happy to do so. Um, so, uh, sorry. Uh, Gaz has asked if we will watch next week uh, Lennox Lewis versus Evander Holyfield one, and then the following week or the next time there's no current shows, uh, look at Evander Holyfield Lennox Lewis two. However, next Sunday there is current UFC. We will be joined by UFC star Jack Shaw, which will be interesting mm -hmm. because we can get his view on. His own, uh, his own fight at Cage Warriors uh, 87. So that'll be kind of cool. So uh, Jack's going to join us to break down the uh, the UFC card from the Saturday. Uh, and then he, I'll get him to hang around for the little bit which we do about him. 
and then he might hang around for the retro stuff. I don't know. But uh, yeah, but once there's once we next get a weekend where there's no current UFC or boxing, we will watch uh, Evander Holyfield versus Lennox Lewis one. Um, and I might get Shane back on actually because um, he's got a lot of boxing knowledge, um, a lot of contacts within boxing, being a manager himself. So uh, I might get when we do those, I might get Shane back on. Uh, to have a chat, but uh, just to finish off the show, mate, we'll go with uh, the UFC number eight, which was uh, yeah. an interesting show. Um, so the the alternate bout, which uh, did they show the alternate? I don't think they did. I don't think um, we did see those. No. So that was the alternate bout was uh, Sam Adkins versus uh, Keith Mahake Miki Um and yeah, again, of course, as is tradition. We had to have Paul Ak- uh, Sam Atkins step in for uh, Paul Valerians uh, later in the tournament, which I don't think we've had one of these tournaments where someone hasn't had to be replaced yeah. at some point, which is unfortunate. But yeah. at least this time there was only the one alternate required. Um, yeah. Okay, so we had the first bout. We had, uh, It was not a long one. Uh, we had the debut, or UFC debut, of... Uh, Don Fry, which I was really, really excited to see because um, he's one of the first MMA fighters, which I was really kind of a fan of. And uh, he defeated Thomas Ramirez via KO uh, in eight seconds. Yeah, there's not a lot to say about this. But, uh, <laughs> the, the, his opponent was massive because the, the, the show was called uh, David and Goliath, and for good That's reason. It, yeah. All the first matchups were done with opposite ends of, of the weight spectrum. Um, and I think by the time they got to the final, it was 50-50 between the big guys and the small guys, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, sure. yeah uh, Don Fry made real short work. He sort of went in with a, a jab that got the, the big man's head reeling back. He stumbled off balance. And because he's such, such a big guy, I think 400 pounds plus, um, he couldn't regain his balance and, and fell with his head against the fence. And Don Fry followed up and, and it was yeah, it's game over straight away. It was a, an, an easy knockout victory for Don Fry. Perfect for a knockout tournament to win in such fashion. Yeah, it was brutal, mate. It was brutal. Yeah, it was. Uh, beautiful. I just made up a word. It was so good. Um, <laughs> next up was uh, Paul Valerians versus Joe Moriera. Uh, and this was the first time we had a decision within the tournament structure. Um, That's right, yeah. That would... Ten minutes long, wasn't it? Ten minutes, right? Yes, yeah, so ten minute fights, and it went to unanimous decision with Paul Valerian's uh, winning it, which was, you know, interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, but the fight wasn't actually interesting. <laughs> I found it yeah. quite boring. Um, yeah, it wasn't was, uh, was just a grappler, uh, but uh, you know, a, a good grappler, but was unable to to get such a sizable uh, opponent to the mat. He was unable to get Paul down. Paul was quite experienced at this point. Um, you know, we'd seen him numerous times. Um, and it, oh, to me, he was winning it. Whenever Moreira engaged, he was able to spoil any takedown attempt and throw some uppercuts and hooks. And yeah, we're just, we're just doing the damaging shots, really. Moreira, because of the size deficit, was spending most of his time backpedaling. Um, and it just didn't look good. So I was not surprised and um, <laughs> that every judge gave it to Paul Verilens. Uh, yeah, it was frustrating to watch, though. Yes, it was very frustrating. Um, but Paul Valerian's obviously he's very experienced at this tournament format now. 
he yeah. um, you know he's been doing he's done a couple. Um, next up was Jeff Bolinder versus Scott Ferrozo, uh, and this was uh, he won this by a submission guillotine choke after nine minutes. Yeah, this this, this fight was more like it. This this was actually a good fight. That Ferrozo uh, was a, a bit like Tam Cabot. But rather than, you know, Tank Abbott was a good wrestler, but really wanted to do damage with his hands, sort of like beer brawling um, with haymakers, etc. Frozo was like opposite. He wanted to do damage with his actual wrestling and kept slamming uh, Bolander around with suplex attempts. Um, and it looked like it was not going to go Bolander's way at all. But, you know, being a proper athlete and being a skilled individual, he was able to use... Uh, back to strategize to stay on his feet, get back to his feet, work some little choppy damage to Ferozo's face. They they uh, got pulled apart. This is one thing that they changed with regards to refereeing. If there was no action action in a particular area, they they would get parted and they reset. Um, Ferozo just had to keep on trying to force Belinda against the fence, but each time he did so, he's receiving more and more damage, and each time that he entered in. Um, was not only getting him his face damaged, uh, he ended up trying to hide his head away where, it's, where it got caught a little bit too low. Um, and Balander was a really good submission guy, you know, and he got that head down low. He started putting in that guillotine. Um, and I think he almost went out. He, or he, he sort of half went out by the yeah. time uh, he managed to tap. But, uh, yeah, that was a much more lively bout. It was really interesting to see, like, a, a real athlete who's skilled and a guy that's got good wrestling that's just brutally heavy and, and quite a short guy in the big schemes when you compare him to someone like Paul Verilins, who was 6'8". This guy was a real compact bit of fat that could wrestle some. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't think it was going to go Valander's way with the first suplexes, but fatigue uh, set in and um, any opportunity for a submission, Valander was clearly capable of putting it away, and he did. Yes, this... Um... I definitely think he went out, mate. He, um, you know, he looked like he did. Um, I was interested by um, Jerry Belinda. I don't remember. So have we seen him before? Um, uh, no, I, we hadn't seen him at this stage. No. And I, I'm pretty sure he goes on to win uh, one of the tournaments later on in a couple right. of years. I think. Yeah. I think I'm sure he wins one of the, when they do it in weights. I'm sure he wins one. Um, yeah. Next up was uh, Gary Goodridge versus Paul Herrera. Um, Gary Goodridge, obviously a m- big, big dude, um, super heavyweight and a very capable kickboxer, uh, defeats uh, Paul Herrera via KO elbows. Only 13 seconds to this one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was just the size. Um you know, Gary Goodridge uh, comes always with mean intentions. I don't think he was a really good striker back then at this point. But, um, yeah, they, they got clinched up. Paul Herrera just looked too small. He, he looked a, a little overwhelmed. Um, it, it, he put up a little bit of a fight. Um, he had his, his little moments, but he just didn't make a, enough of those moments. Gary Goodridge always overpowered him. Um, yeah, and, and, and got the KO. Yeah, it not, didn't last very long at all. Um, yeah, absolutely, you know. A bit like Don Fry, really. He, he got a really good start to the tournament. You want to get him out of the way quick. This one, he got out of the way quick. Yeah, he did. Um, and I think with this tournament, um, tournament 
format is the you know it's the better these guys just want to get in in and out as yeah. quick as possible, don't they? Um, so yeah. the semi semifinals were Don Fry versus Sam Atkins, which was a the uh, the uh, alternate, and you also had Gary Goodridge versus Jerry Bollinder, which was yeah. a, you know a really interesting fight. On that paper. was a good one. Yeah, um, that that was a good fight. So we had Don Fry beat Sam Atkins in forty eight seconds uh, via a doctor stoppage. Uh, TKO, should I say? Yeah, I uh, think Sam Atkins was actually trying to tap before the point that it got stopped with a cut. Um, you know, the commentators did pick up on that. You know, was he tapping? Was he tapping? It definitely looked like he was trying to tap to me. But yeah, Don Fry enters in. He sort of picks up an outside single on that leg and really tips him up and throws him down with relative ease. Um, and Don Fry, you know, if he feels that he can run someone out of there quick, he'll put the energy in. To, to do such a job. And it's exactly what he done. He, he just went in and, and was aggressive from start to finish. Uh, I think he knew he had Sam Atkins' number. He knew this Atkins had nothing to offer Don Fry. Um, uh, it was an, another really nice, easy fight for Don. This has turned out to be a good evening for him. Yeah. And uh, not too difficult in, uh, in terms of time spent in the cage. Uh, so for the, the quarterfinals and the semifinal, he spent 56 seconds in the cage. Yeah. <laughs> which you know is ideal going into the yeah. final. Um, yeah, the other semi final was a bit more competitive. It was Gary Goodridge and Jerry uh, Boland. Uh, Gary Goodridge picking up the win via TKO uh, after five and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't so straightforward for Gary Goodridge with this one. Um, Jerry Boland, as we know, he's got some skills, although he had a lot more difficult uh, fight leading up to this one than Gary Goodridge did. So. You know, Jerry Ballander was going to be slightly fatigued um, compared to Gary. And Gary's obviously sizably bigger. Um, so, yeah, Gary got him down. I thought it was going to be a really quick fight once Gary got him down. Um, he didn't get him down with anything pretty, just the fact that he's a bigger guy. Um, it looked like he was going to be, you know, running the punches in really early. Mm. But he was unable to control Barry, uh, that Jerry Ballander. He's definitely got skills on the ground, this guy. He's definitely well-rounded. He managed to switch out of there and get on top of uh, Gary Goodridge, um, and was uh, you know getting Gary Goodridge to eat some of his punishment. But G Gary was so fresh and so big and strong, he re really did look sizably bigger than Jerry, and uh, managed to get back stood up, managed to get Jerry back down, and he was stood up. And and he, at one point he kneels on his head. It looked so uncomfortable. <laughs> it looked really really nasty. Uh, it just looked like the bigger man started raining down some punches and, and the ref steps in to stop it. And right, so really, I, I think um, had it gone on, Barrelander would have come away quite hurt and cut up. Yeah, uncomfortable is probably yeah. understating it a bit. Um, yeah. And this was one of the ones which it didn't kind of go like this throughout the tournament. But this was one of the ones where the size difference and the, the really did show. Because yeah. Gary Goodrich looked, you know, up to this point, I felt like he looked very, very good throughout, you know, in yeah. his quarterfinal and semifinal uh, bout. Um, so the final is Don Fry versus Gary Goodrich. Uh, Don Fry wins via submission uh, to two minutes 14 into the bout. Um, Don Fry just looked like a beast, i got to be honest. He just looked so good uh, in yeah. every, every aspect of his of his game, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, even his striking, although he's not technically great in today's terms, um, 
you know, he, he knew how to throw his throw his hands and he knew about range. Um, yeah, and I think with that combination of having game hands and that wrestling capability, it was a little bit too much for Gary Goodridge. Gary Goodridge, you got to remember at this stage, was not the well-versed fighter we knew that he developed into. He still had huge holes in his game and um, Don Fry at this stage could really expose that and, and, and he did. Um, you know, it really doesn't make difficult work for him overall. Um, actually, they ended up fighting again, didn't they, in Pride? Um, and Gary Goodridge had really started developing his uh, striking game. And okay. he knocked Don Fry out with a nasty, nasty head kick. Because like I said, Don Fry, is, you know, he's not like um, a proper pedigree striker by any stretch. He has no. his kind of hands wayward. He's always a roided up guy. I don't think there's any secret to the fact no. that he was um, uh, abusing some, uh, some, some help along the way to his successes but it was the way it was back then and so he couldn't hold a tight guard and he, he had held his hands quite loosely in that pride fight and Gary Gurridge threw up the, a, a perfect head kick and he's a big dude and explosive and yeah he knocked on Fry out really badly um, yeah just cool. a bit of added information but yeah uh, Don Fry out on that night though um, with this UFC was just uh, um, a talent too much for Gary Gurridge and one yeah. by punches. No, it got got, uh, got nailed. Uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're right. Guy Gary Goodridge didn't have the overall skills to deal with Don Fry at this point. He just didn't. Um, you know, and he admits that in the in the interview after the fight. Also, he you know he says, "I just don't have the the ground defense and the the yeah. the stamina and the the all round yeah, yeah, fight yeah. game." Um, like yeah. to me, I, to me, I think. Well, if you knew that, why didn't you try and improve them before the tournament? But yeah, well, I think he was training in all those elements. You know, by the time this UFC had come about, but you know, they're still early into learning this new skill set. Once you learn them in the gym, it takes a little while for it to come out over into your into your real fight scenarios. Um, with Gary Gurdjieff, you know, he, he was showing some little advance, uh, advancements. If you have a look at that Paul Herrera fight that you know, we discussed that didn't last very long at all, he actually mm. showed some nice little ground skills there because he caught him in like a crucifix position, didn't he, with his leg and arm and then elbowed him unconscious. So, you know, he, he was definitely getting skills about him, but, um, you know, they, they developed a little later on and mm. we saw what Gary Gurdjieff was capable of later on in his career. Yeah, for sure. I... Um... Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, seeing him come back. I'm sure he'll be in another mm. uh, couple of UFCs. Yeah, he was and an I might, active fighter. I might have a little, a little look at the uh, their fighting pride as well later mm. on. Um, okay, so to finish us off, we're going to have a look at uh, Ken Shamrock versus Kimo Leopoldo, uh, which was yeah. for the Super Fight Championship. Um, yeah. Um, we over the last couple of tournaments, we've seen. St- uh, Ken Shamrock really cement himself as kind of the you know the guy to beat. Uh, he's no longer yeah. taking part in the tournaments. He's he's the super fight championship holder. Uh, yeah. He basically seems to just take on the winners from the year before, from what I can yeah. gather. Uh, yeah. Generally, so does that mean we'll see Ken Shamrock versus Don Fry in the next one? Well, we'll find Maybe out in so. just a second. Maybe so. Yeah. No. Uh, well, I could say now we don't. Yeah, we see the Dan yeah. Severn rematch. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, go on. Uh, t- take us through the the Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Uh... Uh, yeah. Everyone, I know what 
uh, Chemo's all about as well. Super aggressive, really big dude. I think he's, um, you know, a little bit bigger all around than Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock's got the, the wrestling capabilities, though, and was able to get Chemo down. Um, had a little time in, in, in close and open guard, then half guard. But when he gets side control, because Chemo is such a muscular dude, it must be hard to try and pin down tight on him. He's able to reverse uh, Ken Shamrock over and have a little bit of top play himself. And uh, and when when someone like Chemo's on top, he's on top to do damage and, and try and put you out. He's not going to try and do a pretty submission. He's there to punch and elbow you and knee you and, and do damage. So it did mean it opened up a bit of space for for Ken Shamrock to, to move and counter. And this is where you see his continuing development for his taste for leg locks. Um, clearly, he was doing some training out in Japan. Now, I've trained out in Japan, and they're big on their leg locks. Um, it's considered an old school style by today. Um, it's all been modernized now. Um, you know, with all the no gi grappling that you see. But nevertheless, mm. Ken Shamrock was a step ahead of everyone with the leg lock game, and you saw it. He, he flipped over for uh, Kimo's leg. Kimo looks a little lost. He really just has to use strength and power and aggression to try to defend it. Um, it looked at one point he would get out, but no, um, he, he gets leg locks. Um, it was he, he not just didn't to have be. The no, it was not to be. Um, yeah, so really Kimo's undoing was the fact that when he did have a top position, the only way he was going to win is by opening the position uh, to strike down at Ken. But Ken, when you give him space, he's going to be able to uh, counter-attack. And he did with that nice leg lock attempt. It, it, it was good. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so the, the commentators called it an ankle lock, but Ken Shamrock called it a knee bar. Yeah. And you're calling it a leg lock. Well, yeah, it was um, actually uh, hard to see what it actually was because his body was they kind didn't of have the, the uh, They didn't have all those multiple camera angles back in then. No, then no, no, no. And um, so what could have been the case is that he could have had a toe hold. It, it was hard to say what it, what his finish actually was. But if Ken's saying it was, um, I didn't actually see the after interview or anything like that. If he's saying it was an e-bar, it was an e-bar that he got in with. But, um, you know, normally an e-bar, you see them have to really put their hips in to get the submission, which is okay. why I thought it might have been a foot lock of some sort because uh, chemo tapped quite quickly from the position, which normally yeah. means it's uh, something to do with the ankle and knee, um, you know, because of the, uh, the pressure the foot lock application. Imagine. Yeah, but um, yeah, a knee bar. I think maybe chemo knew the knee bar was going to come on. He didn't want to play no part in having his knee bust out. So he tapped out quite promptly. And so he should have. Yeah. You don't want to be out for months, do you? Because you're... No, well, yeah. Wrecked your ligaments. I've, hurt, or I've hurt my knees numerous times. It's uh, no fun. You never really truly get back to your to original self when you do your knees, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so next week we'll be talking the the current UFC card, which I'll uh, bring up in a minute. But we'll also touch yeah. on UFC nine, which is uh, the first event that it doesn't feature the uh, tournament format however it does get brought back for ufc 10 by popular demand it's also where yep. uh, it was on pay-per-view uh so the card is uh main event is dan seven versus ken shamrock um and i'll warn you now it goes to the decision 30 minutes <laughs> uh then we have uh steve nelmark versus ty bowden uh which is a heavyweight uh, Cal Worsham versus Zane Frazier. Uh, so I don't know if they've if they've got 
divisions at this point or whether you know there's still a free for all. Um, let me see if I can pick up one of these which have got the weights for both of them. Uh, freestyle heavyweight. Oh, I can't, it doesn't seem to oh, light heavyweight and sumo. No, there's no no weight, no weight divisions either. Um, so Cal Worsham versus Zane Fraser, Rafael Carino versus Matt Anderson, Mark Schultz versus Gary Goodridge, uh, Mark Hall versus Koji Kitayo, and Don Fry versus Amaury Bititi. A, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fresh names coming into the mix. For yeah, that one. yeah, they're all all new names. Um, and then obviously the tournament after that is called the UFC 10, the tournament. Um, and if I just, I wanted to have a little peek at that because I got a feeling we're going to see some familiar names soon. Mm. But um, let's have a look. Don Fry's in the tournament, so that'll be interesting. Uh, okay, so the next UFC card, which is next Saturday, uh, is uh, Tyrone Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Uh, we got Blag- Blagoy Ivanov versus Augusto Sakai. Uh, Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez. And uh, let's have a look. Who else do we got? Bring up the rest of the card. So, should we do some quick predictions for the for the main card? Yeah, let me um, actually get them up as well. Uh, you get your pen and paper, and um, let me have a little little proper look because I only skimmed it quickly today. Obviously, we... to be honest with you, I look at that card and I think, oh, the main event looks quite interesting, and then I look at the rest of it and I'm a bit like, mm. yeah. Mm. It's not the most exciting card. Yeah, and I wondered should they have but, um, should they have really put some of those fights from that last card, which like put the Cerrone fight, which was on the prelims, put that on this card. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could have given some of those fighters an extra couple of weeks to prepare, but also just like make this card a bit better because they've gone from like a ridiculously stacked card to maybe. Dare I say a little underwhelming? Yeah. Um, okay. So what's, the, what's uh, yeah? I'm trying to can't get help. Phone's so slow. I'll go on. Just to tell me the names and I'll. Okay. So we've on. got uh, a female bout uh, to open the card, which is a strawweight uh, strawweight bout between Hannah Sheaf, uh, Hannah Seifers and Mackenzie Dern. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with Mackenzie. You're going to go with Mackenzie. So we'll put you in. uh, We'll put you in green. And I will go with Hannah Seifers. Why not? Just for the the fun of the game. And uh, then we have a a lightweight bout between Roosevelt Roberts. That's a good name. And uh, Brock, Brock Weaver. Let's go Brock Weaver. Oh, okay, so I'll go Roosevelt because I like his name anyway, but I don't know a great deal about him. I don't know much about him. Brock Weaver uh, rings a bell. I'll say that much. But uh, So I'm red. And then we have a welterweight bout between Kevin Holland and Daniel Rodriguez. 
I'm going to go Kevin Holland. Um, I'm going to go Kevin Holland too. Yeah. And just got to write it down. Keep keep track. Keep track so we can see how we did. Yeah. You won the last one, didn't you? Yeah, I think I did. And then we've got a ranked fighter. So we've got uh, Augusto, Augusto Sakai, who's ranked number 13. Uh, versus Blagoj Ivanov. And mm. that is a... Oh, yeah, a minor, yeah. Yeah, that's a heavyweight yeah. bug. Yeah. Anyone with a name ending in V, they're going to be good fighters. All those Minovs, they're <laughs> all good, aren't they? How do you, how do you even spell that? <laughs> Ivanov. Ivanov. Uh, Ivanov. Um, so who you got? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Evan off. Go, Let's go. Look. I'm going to go for Sakai as the yeah. as the ranked fighter. Yeah. Find the, why the devil not? And then we have the main event of oh, Tyrone yeah. Tyrone Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Yeah, it's Tyrone Woodley going to come back new and refreshed. You know, Burns is on a little bit of a roll. Uh, I think. Burns has got more ways to potentially win, but can he force it his way? Um, yeah, I'm going to go Gilbert Burns. Ooh, I'm going to go Tyrone Woodley um, because I feel like Tyrone Woodley, one, is vastly underrated by people. And uh, yeah. two, definitely I feel good. like um, he really needs the win. Um, he does, so to put himself back up there. Um, so UFC 30th of May... Predictions. I don't think it is the thirtieth of May. I believe it's the Saturday before. If it is the thirtieth of May, then I'm going to have a problem with uh, recording it because thirtieth of May is the Sunday. I have a show on the first of May, so we might have to do a live one on the Wednesday. But um, okay. we're going to do that. I think um, we were going to do this one live anyway, weren't we? And we're going to do it a bit earlier, if you remember. Um, right. So it. Assuming the gym is still closed and stuff, are you still okay to do that? Sure. So that'll be a... It'll be a six o'clock start, um, and it will be a live review show. But uh, look out on our social media, uh, Ace Podcast Nation social media, to confirm the date, because on some websites it says it's on the 29th of May, the event, and other websites it says it's on the 30th. Uh, which is the Sunday, so we'll just have to double check that and keep an eye on it. But uh, yes, check us out okay. to face facebook.com slash acecast nation, uh, Twitter and Instagram at acecast underscore nation. Danny is not on any of them, and uh, you can also help us as a series and as a sh- channel by uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ace podcast nation. Uh, also, check out Shane's social media. Uh, he's got some good stuff and some really great interviews coming up, including uh, one with Tyson Fury, which I believe go on his Instagram page, uh, <clears throat> which I will link in the description below. And uh, we will see you next week for another episode of the Danny Batten Fight Show. It will be live. It will be 6 p.m. And it will either be on the Sunday or it will be on the Wednesday. So keep an eye out on the social medias that I just re- just mentioned. 
and get ready for a live show with not just myself, but also former Cage Warriors champion Danny Batten, but also UFC fighter and former Cage Warriors bantamweight champion, Mr. Jack Tank Shaw. Thank you for joining me, Danny. Pleasure, Si. As always, mate, always a pleasure. Thank you again to Shane for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed some of his analysis, and uh, he's a good guy. I uh, did a podcast with him the other day, which is going to be out on Friday, so you're going to get a double whammy of Shane this week. And, um, yeah, it was a real fun show, and um, I really got on with him, and it was good good stuff. And yeah. uh, Cool. We'll see you next week, guys. Cheers, Dan. Podcast Network.